Welcome back to The Chosen Journey with The Chosen Lawyer and Big Money Grip, Steve Carsey. Steve, new hat today, different logo. Haven't seen that one before. Can we get a little bit of context on it? Yeah, this logo right here is the 12U uh, North Scottsdale Thunderdog uh, baseball tournament team or club team that I coach with my son on and the one that is going to Cooperstown, New York in June to compete in an event uh, that uh, Cooperstown runs every year. The Hall of Fame does it, and uh, 12U gets to to compete. So uh, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, our boys are excited to go and uh, just decided to kind of flaunt it a little bit uh, for, for them. So what is the uh, minimum age now for MLB requirements for drafting? Do you recall off the top of your head? <laughs> Uh, the minimum requirements, I believe, is is 18 years old. All right. So uh, we're we're excited then for uh, 2029. We'll be looking out for the uh, the big draft day and uh, looking for Kingston Carsey. No pressure at all. No, no pressure at all. So, I mean, there's a lot of, lot of good stuff going on with our team and, uh, you know, with him and a lot of hard work that he's doing and he's putting in, even though it's 12U. Uh, we we want to make it fun. You know, we want to make them enjoy it and let them have their moment. Uh, you know, he's also been uh, selected uh, to represent Team Arizona in an all-state tournament in July in uh, Dallas, Texas. So that will be fun as well. But uh, like I said, the team I'm coaching, we're just uh, gearing up for for this this fun tournament. At, at the Hall of Fame, um, you know, I've been there plenty of times, but many of the parents and many of the boys who are going to experience this for the first time uh, on the East Coast, I think will be pleasantly surprised. Well, I'm certainly hoping to join you over there. I, you don't have to uh, ask me twice to get over to Cooperstown. I love it over there. And Steve, as usual, you are quite the psychic because you have uh, thought of today's chapter without even knowing it. And today we're going to be talking about our good old uh, friends over at Cooperstown. And we've had recently the 2023 Hall of Fame election uh, announcement of who's going in. We knew Freddie McGriff was already going in through the uh, committee. It used to be called the Veterans Committee. Now it's the Modern Day Era Committee or whatever the heck they're called. And I want to talk about the ballot. First of all, looking at 2023, one went down and looking ahead to 2024. So firstly... Only five voters got this right. I'm very surprised because I see Bronson Arroyo, R.A. Dickey, John Lackey, Mike Napoli, and Houston Street all got one vote. Steve, are these joke votes or do these people actually truly believe that these are Hall of Famers in your estimation? You know, I don't think they're joke votes. I think there's many people who are on the ballot. Obviously, the, the people who are choosing uh, get to make uh, a certain amount of check marks in multiple players that they get. Um, you know, and there's many reasons I think they do that. You know, the guy was very good to them during their career, uh, you know, as a analyst and, you know, would talk to them and give them information and things like that. And, um, you know, I mean, I think if, if some of those guys are borderline, uh, good players, um, to great players and have some stats to back it up, uh, sometimes, you know, those are just, uh, votes that are given to by a particular person that uh, enjoyed that person during their career. Well, a few people that got zero votes and did not get any love, but 
These are, uh, this, it sounds like the alumni from my fantasy baseball team called Team Jeremiah. So my son, T- Jeremiah. So my fantasy baseball team on CBS Sports, two-time award winner. By the way, we won the fantasy draft in our league twice. Team Jeremiah, Matt Kane, Jacoby Ellsbury, Andre Ethier, JJ Hardy, Johnny Peralta, J-H-O-N-N-Y. Remember, Johnny Peralta, Jared Weaver, and Jason Wirth. All fun guys to watch. All had, you know, blips in their careers. Some injuries there, if not all of them at some point. But uh, no surprise that they did not pull through. Even with the one vote, when I look at Arroyo, Dickey, Lackey, Napoli, Street, you know, I, I, I would say they had good careers. Like I talk about the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Very Good. These, to me, were good players. I wouldn't even put them necessarily in the Hall of Great just because either they didn't play long enough or didn't have the, the stats or what be it. This year... You know, as as we were driving in uh, today uh, to, to do this taping, I was listening in to Dan Patrick. I uh, don't know if he's a big fan of the show or not, but clearly he was psychic as well because he was talking about the Hall of Fame voting as well. And Scotty Rowland being the one guy that went in, I had a feeling based on all the media reports, it's funny, compared to 20 years ago, now with social media, ballots being released ahead of time, you start to get a pretty good idea of where this thing is going. And I got to tell you, I personally am kind of floored. I'm the one who tends to advocate for players that are overseen a lot. I got to see Scotty Rowland play in Toronto. Great player. To me, based on the standards up till now, this was a very, very good player. I don't see the Hall of Fameness of it. I'm just kind of in shock. You know, considering back in the day, you had the Alan Trammells and the Luda Whitakers. And, you know, they barely got a sniff. How was Scotty Rowland? So when you saw the result, having having watched him throughout his career, were you surprised at all? Or did this one was, was a slam dunk for you? You know, slam dunks are always really hard to predict, right? But, you know, you go back and you crunch the numbers. You look at the numbers. You look at his war, which was close to 70, right? I mean, and then, you know, we take into account these days of, you know, how we can crunch the numbers a little bit more than just the eye test uh, of what we saw in the 70s and 80s and, and even in the 90s. Now, once you get into analytics and are able to go back and look at a specific guy's numbers and see what he did, how he did it, and how it stacks up to uh, many of the other players, you can kind of get a better idea uh, of where the voting is going. But you know, I mean, if if you really go back and look at his career and what he has done, uh, you can always compare, right? I mean, we we sit here and we go back and forth and we talk about over text, uh, you know, Tony Gwynn, right, and Bobby Abreu. If yeah, you stack their yeah. if you stack their numbers up, they're very similar. I mean, Abreu has more in one area, maybe a little bit less. But then you look at it, and Abreu got, what, 19% of the vote this year, as opposed to Tony Gwynn, who got 98% first ballot Hall of Famer uh, that went into the Hall of Fame. So, um, you know, sometimes it can kind of be a little bit wonky, um, I think a little bit strange and on how they're picking and choosing the numbers. But, uh, you know, the numbers don't lie. Numbers are numbers. And Scotty Rowland has put up the numbers that, he needs to be elected to the baseball hall of fame and congratulations to him. What a great honor it is to, to be selected by your peers in the media to represent major league baseball yourself, your family, your team in uh, Cooperstown in the baseball hall of fame. 
And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he had the lowest vote total on the first time on the ballot. I think he, I, I can't recall if he was like 10% or what he was, but he was very, very low. And he's had the biggest jump ever to actually get elected through not the Veterans Committee or the Modern Day Committee, but through the actual voting process. And that blows my mind how they can see a ballot one year. Okay, maybe some years it's stacked with a few guys, but it's like they have this awakening all of a sudden. The media reports are coming out. They redissect the numbers and they see it a lot differently. And I'll tell you who's sleeping really well at night now and is so happy about this besides Abreu and his family because there's that clip on the, online about him telling his parents and how excited they are is Nolan, Nolan Arenado. He has got to be loving his life right now because you go look at the gold gloves. Roland carried all of them. There was a blip for two years, and Arenado's been getting the gold gloves ever since. And I'd argue Arenado's bat's even stronger than Roland. So Roland's in the Hall of Fame. Arenado is getting in now. He might as well just get his mantle ready to go. If he stays on the path he is or even close to it, I'm telling you then, you can't not have Arenado if you have Roland. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think, you know, he's a present-day player, right? He's still going through his career. Uh, he's still got many, many years left to uh, play the game. And obviously, if he continues to progress and, and, and continue the path that he's on right now and uh, throughout his career as he gets older, maybe the numbers subside just a little bit. But, uh, you know, we talk about this. You've you got to be really good or you got to be great for a 10-year period. Uh, and then the numbers will be there. I don't think that it, Arenado is even thinking about the Hall of Fame. I think he's thinking about playing third base for the St. Louis Cardinals, trying to help win a World Series. And he's in a really good spot in St. Louis, um, you know, winning and having a chance to win as before, where he was in Colorado, where they had a chance to win, but they always are remaking their roster for it. Um, so, for, for Arenado, it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's obviously good to see that uh, what Scotty Rowland has done has has put him in the Hall of Fame and, and his numbers are comparable uh, up to this point in his career. But he still has to continue to do it for the next five, six, seven years, uh, you know, to be uh, on the equal playing field, so to speak. So I went back and crunched numbers because you brought this up originally and you kind of took me for a loop there. And I went and crunched numbers for Abreu and Tony Gwynn. And I am flabbergasted at how little respect Bobby Abreu gets. I mean, Tony Gwynn, it's kind of funny because he played on in an era of a team that was not a big market team considered. They weren't very fancy. They didn't go to a thousand world series, but at that point in time, we were all obsessed with batting average. Batting average was the be-all, end-all. And in today's era, with Tony Gwynn winning batting averages, I don't think we love him as much. And Bobby Abreu looks a heck of a lot better. Looking at some of the numbers here, Abreu, 18 years, Gwynn, 20 years. Abreu, 2,400 so games. Tony Gwynn, 2,400 so games. Abreu had 2,000 less at-bats, so 8,000 at-bats versus 10,000. 1,400 runs for Abreu versus 1,300 for Gwynn. The hits, there you go, 2,400 hits for Abreu, 3,100 for Gwyn. So that magical 3,000 number. But then you got 574 doubles in a lot less at bats versus 543. Pretty close. 288 home runs for Abreu versus 135 for Gwyn. 1,300 RBIs versus 1,100 RBIs. 400 stolen bases versus 300. Where we start getting into the interesting numbers, Steve, our good friend, Mr. Walk. 1476 walks versus 790. There's your difference in hits and walks, a thousand percent. 
Tony Gwynn, by the way, only struck out 434 times in his career. How is that possible? How is that possible in 20 years? 434 strikeouts? If I had struck out 20 times a year, that's it? That that blows my mind. I mean, Abreu struck out 1,800 times. 291 average versus 338. I mean, Tony Gwynn, 338 average. The man knew the strike zone, clearly. 395 OBP versus 388. Abreu leads there. 475 slug versus 459. 870 OPS versus 847. 4,000 total bases versus 4,200. But Gwynn got a lot of love. I mean, 15 all-star games, eight batting titles, five gold gloves, seven silver sluggers versus two all-star, one glove, gold glove, one silver slugger, one home run derby winner. Bobby Abreu, I think, was very underrated in his day, considering that he was uh, uh, an expansion pickup, traded, wasn't really expected much, and all the guy did was get on base. He was an on-base machine, scored runs. I mean, any team would have loved to have a Bobby Abreu in their lineup. I got to tell you, he was on both of my fantasy baseball team championships. Thank you, Bobby Abreu. But now, considering Roland and what he's getting as far as recognition, you're right. Bobby Abreu, 60 votes, 15.4%. What are these voters missing on him? So that's that's the ultimate question is, by what standard do you put each player by? Is it average is it strikeouts is it walks is it opia like what is the standard deviation across the board that is getting these players to it they they calculate war uh per position um you know tony gwynn obviously uh very loved played his career in san diego bobby abreu one of those guys who bounced around a little bit right i mean uh Probably not to his fault, but uh, he just ended up with many different teams. But he still was able to put up the numbers that are legitimate numbers over a career. You know, uh, I think you said he had, what, uh, two less years in his career? And how many less at-bats? And he had uh, 2,000 almost less at-bats. Yeah, so, I mean, you give him another 2,000 at-bats, I don't know how that sways the numbers, you know, with average or OPS or RBIs or whatever it might be. But uh, uh, all I was saying when we talked about that is the comparison um, across the board is pretty eerily similar, except a few areas. So are those areas subject to that widespread of a uh, vote total from one guy to the next? I, I can't dispute you. And I, and I, until people wake up to him, I don't know if he's going to start rising much more. He's a guy who might get into the modern committee if enough buddies are on the committee, because it's only 15 people. And, you know, in the case of Freddie McGriff, if one of them is an executive that, that, that did uh, have you on the team to our teammates, that helps a lot too. Not taking away anything from Fred McGriff, but certainly when you have only 15 people voting for you, that makes a very big difference of who knows you versus all the writers. Certainly. Right. I mean, the other thing, too, is 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 what was the discrepancy in hits for Tony Gwynn and uh, Abreu? So we have uh, about uh, 700 and change in hits, which is also 700 extra walks. Correct. So 
my theory is if Bobby Abreu, Bobby Abreu gets another 2,000 at-bats, does he get 600 hits in those 2,000 at-bats to get him to the 3,000? I don't know. Now there's your magic number. I mean, just it's all relative to how you want to weigh each uh, particular item that's through the box score. And you remember I told you I had my, my gut feel test when I've watched a person throughout their career. I've watched enough games of them. Do they look like a Hall of Famer to me? Do I feel in my bones that this is a Hall of Famer? When Bobby Abreu came to a bat, he, first of all, before even going up there, uh, never heard a bad thing about the guy. Uh, t- as far as I read from teammates, always loved him. A guy who went quietly about his business, a professional in every sense of it. Someone you always love to have on your team. Media never had an issue with him, apparently. Never seen anything wrong there. But when you watched him up there, you always had that feeling he's getting on base one way or the other. Just always was dialed in. And and now you compare it to the other guys. I don't want to spend too much time on them, but you look at the tw- the rest of the guys hanging off from 2023, and everybody has their warts, so to speak. You know, it's been spoken about a nauseam. You have Todd Helton, where the the Colorado effect, but yet Larry Walker's there. So I think it's I think I don't see how he doesn't get in. I mean, he's never been brushed under the steroid era, so to speak. Helton was a real professional. You know, I I I I think he should get his love. Billy Wagner, I think, will get in as well. He's really, really close. It's that closer uh, biasy. You go look at Lee Smith's stats, and I'm a huge Lee Smith fan. I love watching Lee Smith. Again, a real pro, bounced around a lot. Lee Smith is in. Billy Wagner's in. I think end of discussion. Andrew and and, and any of these, if you disagree with me, let me know. But uh, I think they're pretty clean and dry. Andrew Jones, the only fault, and I was watching a documentary on this. He just hung on too long. People seem to remember the crappy Andrew Jones at the end where Andrew Jones for most of his career was unbelievable out of this world. And I, I think people are starting to wake up a little bit. He got 58% of the vote, but I don't know. Gary Sheffield, lots of reasons at the end of the day, we don't have to go into Gary, but there's a multitude of items there. Carlos Beltran, that one series with Houston, when he was out of this world, I think we all saw hall of fame there, but uh, he's going to have to figure out his, again, this is more political stuff. Not what they did on the field, which you and I talked about. This is not the Hall of Hall of Politics. This is the Hall of Fame of Baseball. So will people see that past that? I mean, Beltran still got 46% of the votes. The one guy I really wanted to harp on was Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent's off the ballot now, only 46%. When he retired, I was a thousand percent positive this guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer for his position and what he contributed on the field. Yeah, maybe he wasn't the nicest guy on the planet, but he was a middle-of-the-order guy. He played every day, and he was ferocious on the field. Uh, to me, as far as in the categories of second baseman, I-, I think this guy's got overlooked. I think for sure he's getting in on the committee. What's your take on Jeff Kent? Yeah, I think he's recreated the second base position when he took over as far as uh, you know the effect of what power has at that position. I think... You know, leading up to Jeff Kent, we always thought as a second baseman, as a slap guy, a guy that has a, a better glove than bat, um, you know, a guy that doesn't have a strong arm, uh, things like that. And uh, I just think he recreated that position, uh, played the second base position defensively well, uh, had power, middle of the order guy, as you said, and, uh, you know, went about his business and played for a very long time and at a very high level. So, it's really hard. Again, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, how much a player is liked, how much he's not liked, how much does that have an effect on 
a guy voting for him and giving him a higher vote total uh, or a high percentage uh, to get to the 75% mark that you need to get in um, instead of just maybe, you know, what maybe I think that it might come to or should do is you mask the name and you just put up the numbers and you just vote on what the numbers are. You don't put a name in front of all of these numbers and then you make a decision, is this guy a Hall of Famer with the numbers that he put up? I like this idea. I haven't heard this one. This is a Steve Carsey original. I love that actually, because I thought of something else. And literally I've not thought of this until this literally this moment, but you help bring ideas out of me, Steve. How much do you think Jeff Kett is penalized by the fact that he was assisted by the uh, video game numbers of Barry Bonds? Do you think people factor in that if he didn't have Bonds hitting behind him or in front of him, this uh, numbers may look a lot differently? you think he's getting painted under that brush at all? Yeah, but at the end of the day, you can't predict a guy hitting in front of you or behind you in a lineup over a course of 10 or 12 years. I mean, did Bobby Abreu have Barry Bonds hitting in front of him with the numbers that he put up? No. You know, and then you take, uh, you know, whoever it might be. Uh, did X player have Robbie Alomar or you take a big, you know, Hall of Fame player that hit fourth for a certain team that a guy benefited from? I have a hard time, you know, calculating that into – uh, the equation if a guy is a, is a Hall of Famer because he had somebody who was really good hitting behind him. Well, if I recall correctly, I believe Kent batted behind Bonds most of the time, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was Bonds 3 and Kent 4, if I'm not mistaken. Let me ask you now as a former Brigley pitcher, because with Barry Bonds, when he was on, and like I'm just saying as far as the numbers go, he was either getting a walk or a home run. That was it. it like literally the numbers were video game numbers. So whether Bonds gets a home run or a walk, how many more good pitches did Kent get in reality because of Bonds being in the lineup in front of him, would you say? I actually think it's the opposite effect than what you're saying. I mean, I think Kent uh, benefited from Bonds being walked so much. He also didn't benefit from Bonds hitting a home run because then there's nobody on base for him to drive in when he comes up if he's hitting fourth. Now, if you have Bonds hitting fourth and Kent hitting in front of him third. Now I think he benefits so much more because the guy behind him, you know, you got to pitch really careful to. So if you have a first and second situation and Kent up, he's probably going to get more pitches to hit because you don't want to walk Kent and load the bases for bonds. Cause then there's no way to put them. So um, I look at it as if you're hitting in front of a guy, you get more benefit than if you're hitting behind a guy like that. So that's a Jeff Kent story. A-Rod obviously speaks for itself. Manny Ramirez speaks for itself. Omar Vizquel, you know, I've talked about him in nauseam. It comes down to me for the politics side of it and what's been alleged against him and what's happened to him post-career because he was in the coaching ranks. And I think if he was in the coaching ranks and highly considered as he was, I mean, he was considered a future manager prospect, but if not for his political issues, uh, I'm going to harp on him and Ozzy Smith all day long and the parallels there, but I think that will do him in at the end of the day. And I don't think we're going to be hearing from Omar unless he gets vindicated on every level, but what's being alleged against him. I, I don't know. This sounds very bad. Uh, Andy Pettit, uh, you played with him, uh, again, the steroid brush and 
I mean, again, as a pitcher, what the guy did, how many years, I, I, I think he needs more love. I mean, 17%. Uh, did that shock you? Yeah, it shocked me. I mean, and, you know, not every steroid case is equal. I mean, let's just be completely upfront and honest and fair about that. Certain guys took steroids. Uh, he admitted to taking HGH to help him recover from an elbow injury that he'd had to try to build muscle and, and help him get back quicker. Uh, was he doing it for a long time, uh, a long time of a long period, I should say, of his career? I don't know that answer. Only he knows that answer. Uh, he's painted with the steroid brush because of, uh, you know, whether we call it a mistake or something that he was trying to do to get back a little bit quicker by taking that um, is, is anybody's guess. But again, um, you know, I think he's got shortchanged um, like a few guys, you know, have in the past, uh, Mike Mussina, who eventually got in, um, you know, with the, I believe it was 200 and, you know, 60 something wins or 270 something wins. And the, the threshold is always that, 300 mark right so um Yusina ended up getting in he pitched in the AL East for uh his whole career he had to go through the gauntlet of of that being with Baltimore and then being with the Yankees so uh you know I just think uh time will tell on some of these guys but but Andy should be uh more decorated in what he did for his career for the New York Yankees uh over over the course of the years that he played in the big leagues Plus Houston Astros, to me, he's got to get in there. So I hope the committee will get to him one day, and I hope we uh, see things differently. Uh, Brady, we talked about the last guys, Jimmy Rollins, Mark Burley, Francisco Rodriguez, Tori Hunter, all of them, all very, very, all good to very good. I'm surprised they all got the amount of votes that they did and good on them, uh, but I'm not seeing this happening for any of them. Now, new on the ballot for 2024, I want to read off the name. You tell me, let's play a game. It's called Hall of Fame, yes or no. Ready? Let's go. Adrian Baltre. Yes. I agree. Absolutely, yes. I My first glance was no until I looked at the numbers and I did not realize how steady and how good for how long he was. He was a guy that just did it consistently. Like uh, To me, Roland's in, he's in 10,000%. To me, he's even that step above just how strong that bat was. So I agree with you. And you know what? I don't know if he gets a credit uh, at the hot corner there, but he was pretty good defensively as well. Joe Maurer. Very close. Yes, I say yes. Gwyn is in, he's in. This guy, all he did was hit, and he was a catcher, and for as long as he did, and you know, it was Joey Sideburns. But at the time, he set such a bar for the catching position. Any team would have loved to have him as their starting catcher. I don't know if he got enough love because he played in Minnesota for as long as he did, but you know what? Um, I, I, I'm I sure he's going to get a lot of votes. I'm very interested in him. Chase Utley. I would have to go back and look at his numbers to compare, but off the top of my head, I would say yes. For me as well, but again, uh, we're going to paint under the Kent brush. If Kent's not in, I don't know how Utley's not in, but... Uh... For me, he's a Hall of Famer. I Again, it's just that feeling watching him and the way he went about his business and steady on both ends as far as on the field and and, and at the bat. Chase Utley, to me, is a yes. David Wright. No. Agreed. Agreed. Do you know that he was uh, almost a Blue Jay, by the way? I did not know that. 
Yes, back in the day, uh, the Jays at the time were uh, trading. Uh, I'm trying to remember now what the trade was. Uh, they they had a choice of different minor leaguers from the Mets system, and they said no to right. So, because uh, you never always know where they're gonna go. Matt Holiday. Don't know enough about his numbers. I think the Coors effect there, if when Todd Helton's in, then I'm going to tell you that uh, we're going to have to strongly consider him, but uh, he's going to have that Coors effect issue as well. Uh, these ones are easy. Adrian Gonzalez, Jose Batista, Jose Reyes, Victor Martinez, Bartolo Colon. No. I agree with you. No chance on any of them. Uh, although Victor Martinez was a lot of fun to watch, and I think he was a real pro, and the reincarnation of him in Carlos Santana is still going. You know, those guys were always very parallel to me. And I thought Bartolo Colon was still playing, but I guess not. He's playing somewhere in the world, I guarantee you, but he's not playing. Mexico. He is still going, right? Bartolo was a lot of fun. Uh, he was the modern-day Rick Russell. And uh, you know what? I, Major League Baseball needs more personalities. They need more Bartolo Colones, for sure. Absolutely. Well, we achieved a lot in today's chapter as far as looking at, again, the congratulations to Scott Rowland. And we have I think we made a very strong case for Bobby Abreu and possibly Jeff Kent. So uh, hopefully the voters are watching this and considering this the next time around. Absolutely. Well, we'll see what happens, right? I mean, uh, you know, obviously you said Jeff Kent's off the off the ballot now. So um, we'll, we'll see how the other uh, how, how the other ones go. Well, in next week's chapter, we're going to go back to New York and uh, your hometown and outside your uh, where where you grew up was uh, where the Mets played. And we're going to be talking about the NL East. And do the Mets have what it takes to win the World Series this year? And is the World Series winner coming out of the NL East? So stay tuned for next week's chapter. Steve, always a pleasure. Thank you for your insights, as always. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again. We'll see you soon.